I'm Dr. Sky Katz of Scott from Health with Heart, and this podcast is a celebration of the purpose, capacity, and magic of the human body and its ability to heal and take us to new places. Join me on a journey exploring new aspects of medicine and healing for our collective well being. Welcome to another episode of Health with Heart with Dr. Sky. What a pleasure it is to have Dr. Carla Pontes with me today. Carla is a dentist with a master's and PhD in health science, and she's also an integrative health coach. While she no longer practices dentistry, she is a passionate advocate for integrative health and for bridging the gap between the way that we think about the mouth and the body as separate systems. Interconnection is such a significant theme on this podcast, and so I'm so excited to talk about the influence of oral health on longevity, cardiovascular risk, and mental health. Carla's vision is to explore the multidimensional nature of health through science, spirituality, and psychology, and to share information with her audience that promotes transformation. Carla, thank you so much for connecting with me and for being here with me today. I would love to start with a question of origins and of inspiration. Please tell us a little bit more about your grandfather, who lived to the healthy age of 101. Yes, it probably all started with my grandfather. He was a true legend in terms of a long and healthy life. You know, he was 101, he had no chronic disease, and he passed away peacefully on the couch after a shower. He sat down, he told my aunt he was feeling a bit tired, and then he was gone. No hospital, no suffering. So it was beautiful. And he was a farmer most of his life. He went to bed early. He woke up at 4 a.m. He did not, did not smoke. He drank very rarely in family occasions. He ate small portions, mostly natural foods. And he was out in nature, you know, every day, physically active, most days of his life. So for me, he was a true example of how aging should be. And he totally inspired me to to seek the same. Was your grandmother, did she, f- did she walk a similar path? No, interestingly enough, my grandmother passed away very early with a heart condition. I think she was just around 60. So sh- he was alone, you know, he was on his own. He wasn't health conscious. He was a very humble person. And he just, he was very in touch with what his body needed. And he followed that. He didn't have internet or cell phone. You know, he was, he was in touch with himself and with nature. He knew what he wanted. He knew how he should feel, how his body should feel. And, and my grandmother wasn't his, what wasn't even there to look after him, you know, like a lot of women from their generation. Mm. So he was on his own. Was he part of a community? Because I know when you read about blue zones and people like your grandfather, there's often a, a big community or interconnection with people and, I suppose, nature um, in those sorts of areas. He, yes, correct. He didn't have, because he lived in, in his farm most of his life, he didn't really have a big community, but he would, um, he liked dancing and he liked telling jokes, so he would go to the nearest town where my aunt, his daughter, still lives to this day. And there he would socialize. He would go to like elderly dance club (laughs) or elderly party club. And then he was very social. The ladies loved his company. He was always in a good mood, but not daily. But I guess he might have been an ambivert or an introvert and going maybe to town once or twice a month was enough for him, you know, it filled his cup. Tell me, how did this lead you to dentistry? Because that's such a specific niche. I know it's something that (laughs) never, ever occurred to me. Yes. Uh, So first, I wanted to be a vet. I just love animals like so much, but I found out I was too (laughs) soft-hearted. I couldn't deal with injured animals. Then I considered medicine. But I observed my uncle, I have an uncle who is a gynecologist in Brazil, 
And he had long hours, you know, night shifts spent in emergency duty. And I just did not feel like I wanted that kind of life for me. I didn't feel a calling. And I have always valued my sleep so much. And the thought of being awake in the middle of the night to possibly save someone's life was daunting to me. So the choice of dentistry came because of my family. Another uncle of mine was one, was one of the pioneer dentists in my state, in Brazil. And since I was little, I remember going to his dental office with my mom. She was getting treatment. And I was just there looking around, and everything was so cool. All those machines and equipment, and he made sure he showed me everything he worked with. And I found it fascinating. And then a little later, I went on to have my own dental treatments with a very nice dentist that I had as a child. And he would sing. He would put me in the chair, he would start telling stories, and he would sing all the way through the end of the session. Oh, wonderful. And I had, yeah, he was such a gentle soul. I, I think it took three years for me to notice that, uh, that I was actually getting local anesthesia. He had such light hand mm. and with the singing, I didn't notice it was, it happened. And yeah, and then later on, fast forward to my 16, 17 years old, um, I needed to have my impacted wisdom teeth removed because I was uh, having braces. And then my older brother had chosen dentistry. He's five years older. So he offered to remove my wisdom teeth, you know, with his teachers, under his, his teacher's guidance at the dentistry school. So I went. I went all, like, happy, and it went pretty well. Everything was fine. I was very relaxed. And after my own uh, dental extractions, they allowed me to stay. It was a room with, like, three patients and six students treating them. They allowed me to stay and check around what was happening. And I remember one of my brother's colleague was removing a tooth from another patient. And I just loved it. I found it fascinating. I was fine with all the blood. I was actually very happy for surgeries <laughs> during dental school. And I ended up specializing in gum disease, which involves a lot of surgeries. So yeah, that's how I became a dentist. I love the idea of a singing dentist. <laughs> um, <laughs> You just mentioned something that jogged a question in my mind. Why don't we accommodate our wisdom teeth anymore? Do you have any thoughts on that? There are several ideas behind that. We don't have we don't have a definite answer, but I think it has to do with genetics and with how our chewing habits have developed, how our jaws have developed. So the space is lacking. You see a lot of, um, of teeth, big teeth in small jaws. And I think it has to do with that, with our, mostly with our eating habits. But it's not for sure. I think it's all theorists at this point. At this point. You've traveled quite a journey across many different continents, and I know that you now live in the beautiful town of Grayton. Tell us a little bit about how those journeys unfolded and led you to the work that you're doing today. <laughs> yeah, it's been a long journey. I think I've been a bit of a gypsy. I always wanted to travel since I remembered. So the first opportunity I had to leave um, my home state in Brazil, I did. I left to do a master's, uh, first a specializing course, actually, and then a master's. And then I fell in love with research. That was truly like the first turning point in my life. During my master's, I realized I was really good and I really enjoyed research. And I, at age 25, I think, I wrote my first publication from my master's thesis and and I managed to publish it without like big changes and I was chuffed and, and I could see I had talent for that. And then life happened and I got married to a Danish uh, friend of mine back in the day and we decided to try to live in Denmark. And everybody in Brazil thought I was crazy. I like to tell that story because, you know, as a young person, I was so brave and I just went mm. for my gut feeling. 
everybody said, no, you have to stay in Brazil. That's where you're going to do your doctoring. That's where you have your network. And deep inside my gut, I was like, uh, I can always go back if it doesn't work, but I have to try. So I went to Denmark without knowing anyone coming from an underdeveloped to, to a developed country. I didn't know anyone. So I was literally enjoying life for a couple of months. And then I googled who's the, the head of the, who's the professor in the periodontology department uh, in the dentistry school in Copenhagen University. And I got his email and I wrote him a hard email like, listen, I just married a Danish guy and I'm not made to be a housewife. I'm already bored. I just published a study. I just finished my thesis. Can you get me as at least as a volunteer? And he told me he found it fascinating. Like I Danish people are not very straightforward with what they want. And I was just very like out there and and he gave me the chance he took me in first as a volunteer then as a research assistant and then at some point he asked me what i wanted and i was very blunt i was like i want a phd like i love research and he said can you come up with a project and i was like yeah give me two weeks and i'll give you a project and i did what was and your what was your project on Yeah, it was uh, a rat study on pre-diabetes and di diabetes. And then we induced gum disease to see what was going to happen with their conditions, you know. And it turned out that uh, gum disease left untreated in those rats made pre-diabetes worse and, and made diabetes slightly worse as well as we could measure in the weight of the organs. So it was amazing. I had three publications from that and I flourished in Denmark. I, it, was, it was a collaborative environment mm -hmm. where knowledge was passed on to the younger generation. Um, a lot of young ladies wanting to become a mom, you know, there was no threat that you get pregnant, you won't get a job. And I learned a lot from, from my colleagues and from my former boss. And then life happened again. And my ex-husband got a job offer in Stellenbosch in South Africa. And I was very happy in Denmark, but winter made me very miserable. As a Brazilian, I think I'm just not made for low temperatures. So we moved, we moved to South Africa and then I thought, well, it worked once that I moved from Brazil to Denmark. It's going to work again. So I just came and I crashed my career, <laughs> completely crashed because uh, I didn't have a visa. I didn't have the right skin color. And uh, I was I had qualifications that they lacked at the dental school. But it was just the, those political decisions didn't allow me to get it into the system. So I had to reinvent myself. I was home for a while. I had a toddler and eventually I got divorced. And um, yeah, I decided to stay in South Africa. I love the people. I love the resilience. It reminded me a lot of Brazil, the good and the bad, you know, poverty, but also the people's love and connection. And I stayed and I, I met my, my current husband, South African Portuguese, and we got married. And I have been here since then. And I had to reinvent myself as an independent researcher. <laughs> And what research work are you doing at the moment? At the moment, I'm involved with two main research partners. I have a lot of small projects going on with people all over the world, but those are my, my uh, stable partnerships. So one with uh, Dr. Shervin Mulayam in the US, and he's a functional dentist, and we are passionate about the natural side of dentistry of we just published about natural remedies in in gum disease so that's that side and then i also collaborate with the uh, professor howard gluckman who is passionate about implants and development developments that have to do with gum disease rehabilitation restoring dental gaps and stuff like that so we publish a lot on that side too And so now I'm transitioning to a health coach. I graduated this year 
And I'm integrating more and more of that into the dentistry because it's all connected anyway. Mm. So I'm just I'm just creating something new, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's absurd if I actually pause to reflect on the way that we divide the mouth from the rest of the body. It's the beginning of your microbiome. Um, it's the beginning of everything, actually. And it's so powerful. So um, I'm so grateful that you are forging a new path. Let's, I'd like to talk a little bit about gum disease. I think let's get a little bit practical. What is gum disease? What would people who are experiencing gum disease, what symptoms would they have? How do you know that you have gum disease? Yes, so gum disease is something very interesting and very common. It affects about half of all the adult, pop adult population to some degree. And it typically does not cause pain or like overt signs. The gums can actually look normal from the outside. So it can be a mystery. And the thing is, there is a small space between the gums and the teeth surface called a pocket. And in gum disease, you have bacteria accumulating inside this pocket and they trigger an immune and inflammatory reaction. Should that, if you leave, sorry mm. to interrupt you, should that pocket be sterile? Is it a closed no, space? No, it's impossible. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not a closed space and it's not sterile for sure. But what we know is that there is a certain threshold when certain harmful bacteria multiply to a certain degree, then our immune system cannot take it anymore. We don't know what that degree is because it varies from person to person. It also depends on the immune system, you know, because those bacteria, they are there. It's not something completely exogenous that you get somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's something that we have in our microbiomes. But for some reason, some different factors could be local, could be general. For some reason, they multiply and they irritate the immune system. And if they are not removed, they have this perfect space inside the gum pocket where they grow, you know, nothing removes them if you don't floss, if you don't go to the dentist. So they, they just lead to destruction and it's not the bacteria themselves, it's the reactions, the immune and inflammatory reaction that starts causing destruction, you know, destroys the bone around the teeth and it's the bone that holds the teeth in place. So eventually, if you leave gum disease to, to progress, it can eventually become, uh, lead to loose teeth and tooth loss. And it's typically a, a chronic process and in the, in the initial stages, it is called gingivitis and it can be totally reversed. Then when it progresses to cause bone loss, it is known as periodontitis and it can, it's usually defined as mild, moderate and severe. And the most common signs and symptoms of gum disease are bleeding gums, like it's number one. And people usually think it's a lot of bleeding. It's not. It's very, very mild and discreet. And therefore, a lot of people think it's normal that they see a little bit of blood when they brush or when they floss or even when they eat. It's just not normal. If you see a little bit of blood, you need to talk to your dentist. It's not supposed to bleed. Then another sign is redness and swelling, but it's not that common. And it, it, it's not that it's not common, it's very mild. So the naked eye usually cannot see that well. So um, a normal person looking at the mirror wouldn't be able to identify it. Um, then you can have bad breath because this bacteria can accumulate inside the pockets between the teeth and the gums, and then they ferment, and then you can, you can have a, a bad breath. You can also develop uh, receding gums, so your teeth might look a bit longer as the gums get destroyed by the inflammatory process that can happen. And the teeth can become loose and they can shift a bit, so it can change your bite as well. You'll feel it, it feels a little different. And some people can have a bit of pain or discomfort when they chew, especially when the teeth are getting a bit looser. So those are like the most 
typical signs and symptoms, but just bear in mind that they're rarely all of them there obviously showing up you know it's usually a little bit of bloody uh, bleeding during flossing maybe a little bit of swelling so i encourage everybody to really really pay attention and ask their dentists if they see something wrong to show so you know next time if you see it in the mirror you can be able to recognize it and and a proactive way to prevent or address that does, is this just about consistent dental hygiene and, and flossing how often do you have to floss a flossing once a day for most people because it's the best prevention we have but the thing with flossing is technique sensitive so you need someone to show you if you haven't been to a dental hygienist if she hasn't shown you you could also harm your gums so <coughs> flossing is crucial because it cleans the space in the pocket between the teeth and the gums where the toothbrush cannot reach. So there's no way around it. <laughs> and uh, if, if yeah, so so I always say to, uh, I always think of everything in the sort of in the context of if we pulled it back to how nature intended it to be. So nobody was born with a toothbrush or a, or a bundle of floss in their hands. How, how, what what would nature's answer have been to this? Would we have been sitting under a thorn tree picking our teeth? Would we have been eating more fibrous food that acted in the same way? Do you have any thoughts? I definitely think uh, fibrous foods were like the, the, the basis of, of, of what we ate. Mm. Um, hundreds of thousands years years ago. So definitely what we ate, we didn't have a lot of sugar. So you only had sugar when you found honey, which was very rare, or when you found ripe fruits, which was also rare, depending mm. on the time of the year or the region. So, so the microbiome was probably healthier, first of all. So mm. the, the harmful bacteria, bacteria were probably there, but just not, in in numbers in high numbers and then food you know lots of fiber lots of raw meat lots of chewing so you you just like prevent in a way and then if there's something stuck between the, the teeth maybe a thorn you know mm. carefully inserted to remove it and then i think yeah, I think that's what nature did. I doubt someone was flossing back in the day, but they didn't have the same inflammatory foods, the same, the sticky sugary foods. Mm -hmm. And I, I even believe that they did a study, if I'm not mistaken, in Scandinavia, where they took some families and they gave them like the typical paleo diet, which is like zero in sugar, a lot of, um, a lot of raw vegetables and meat. And apparently they had a lot of bacteria in their mouth, but not the harmful types. Mm. <laughs> so it would probably all have to do with the microbiome and what kind of bacteria we had back then and what kind of bacteria we have now, considering the soil is poor, our, our uh, microdiversity is lower, uh, we're eating a lot of processed food, so that's also generating inflammation and certain shifts in the microbiome. Let's talk a little bit about the gum as an entry point for these microbes to enter our bloodstreams. Um, I know that th this is something you learn about at medical school when you're learning about um, valve disease and, <sighs> and rheumatic heart disease. <coughs> Talk us a little yep. bit yeah, through that process and how exposing the bloodstream to these microbes may be harmful or helpful. Yes, the thing is when, when the gum pocket is inflamed, bacteria, their toxic products and inflammation molecules, also known as cytokines, they can reach the blood vessels in the gums. And then from there, they circulate through the rest of the body, you know, after just a few minutes. So gum disease uh, can definitely increase inflammation in other body parts, such as the heart, the brain, blood vessels, arteries, the gut, and the lungs. So 
Research shows that gum disease can actually increase the risk of many chronic diseases such as diabetes, cardiovascular disease, high blood pressure, stroke, Alzheimer's, dementia, chronic lung disease, bowel disease. Um, it can affect pregnancy, um, some studies showing preterm birth related to gum disease, depression, uh, even COVID-19 and overall mortality. And in fact, there's a study from 2016 reporting that gum disease has been linked to 57 different conditions. So it's not a cause and effect. It's more like um, there's an increased risk for developing these general systemic conditions if you have untreated gum disease. So that's that, that we know for sure. <laughs> And I suppose the basis for that is just an environment, an inflamed environment that is more vulnerable to all sorts of pathology. Yes, absolutely. And what happens is like in, in, uh, in under healthy conditions, the gums form a healthy seal around each tooth. So it limits the entrance of bacteria to the, to the actual gum tissues where the vessels are. But when you have gum disease, similarly to leaky gut, the mm. seal breaks. So more bacteria, their products, and the inflammatory molecules can enter the gums and the blood vessels. And then from there, they have the whole body. They can circulate and reach other body parts very quickly. And it's very difficult to tell when the immune system system reaction gets out of hand and starts causing destruction in other places, you know, because the immune system definitely goes in and tries to avoid damage from those bacteria coming from the mouth. But if you have one tooth with gum inflammation around it, that's a certain burden of bacteria that enter. But you, if you have your whole mouth and all teeth and all sides of the teeth full of bacteria and inflammation, you can imagine that this would this would be um, relatable to like um, a skin, a skin bruise that is covered in bacteria, and it's totally inflamed, maybe five by five centimeters in your hand. And anyone having that would see that there could there could be an influence to the rest of the body. But because it's in the mouth, no mm. one really puts the dots together. Are there any biomarkers or? Yeah, are, are there any easy-to-do bloods, like a highly sensitive CRP, for example, that might give you insight into this kind of grumbling inflammation? I'm just thinking about patients who don't have any obvious cause for having an elevated HSCRP. Um, if we're, we should be do what we should be doing is referring them to the dentist. Definitely, definitely. Worst case scenario, if they don't have it, they get a cleaning and they'll prevent, you know. Mm -hmm. But there are no, as far as I know, there are no systemic markers that definitely indicate gum disease because they all indicate inflammation somewhere. Mm. All the cytokines, you know, IL-1, IL-6, TNF-alpha. Um, what what is coming to the market, I'm not sure how common it is in South Africa, it might be uh, still a bit expensive, is some saliva tests for um, enzymes called matrix metalloproteinase, especially number eight. And that one, they are, I think they're marketing towards the doctors like an easy test where you can just get a drop of saliva and test for that MMP. MMP8 uh, enzyme and that's a good indicator of gum inflammation so the doctor would know straight away you know you, you truly have this disease and mm. I'm gonna uh, refer you to the dentist but it's been slow it's only I think over the last years that they're talking about it and the more we talk about the integration between dentistry and medicine the more we realize the need for markers you know easy mm ways of identifying uh, patients who are probably walking around with chronic inflammation in their mouths. Yeah. I feel like we keep coming back to this concept of dysbiosis, where you've got over-proliferation of a certain bacteria that is uncounted by its fellow brethren, for want of a better word. Um, 
talk to me a little bit about how we can cultivate a, a healthy oral microbiome. And then if we could maybe segue from that into how to cultivate this in our children um, and some of the tools that we have to do that. Yeah, so dysbiosis is the, the word of the moment. It's mm. gut dysbiosis, it's oral dysbiosis, and it's, n it's the imbalance, as you mentioned, the imbalance between having uh, too much of the harmful bacteria and too little of the beneficial bacteria. And in terms of the mouth, what people can do to cultivate a healthy oral cavity, um, ideally with a balanced microbiome, is the following. Um, brush with a light hand, you know, I always tell, tell that to my patients, not with a heavy hand, with a light hand, at least twice a day. And make sure to cover all teeth surfaces, including front, back, and chewing surfaces. And then we, we should also floss once a day. And again, as I mentioned before, technique is very important uh, to make sure you're doing correctly and, and not harming the gums. Because again, it removes the, the bacteria and the plaque and food particles between the teeth under the gum line where the toothbrush cannot reach. And a dental hygienist is the, the best person to show anyone how to, how to floss effectively. So I uh, think another th the, the risk of inappropriate flossing is that you're traumatizing the gum further and then exposing your bloodstream to more microbiota. Is that right? Yes, correct. Um, you'd probably hurt in places where bacteria wouldn't get into the blood, though, because you wouldn't cut inside the gum pocket. The gum pocket okay. is quite secluded. Okay. You would probably cut more superficially. Okay. So it's not that that worries. It's more that you could cause an ulcer, you know, as you, you cut your gum, and then it's going to be very uncomfortable. So it's more to make sure that you're hugging the tooth with the floss instead of cutting through the gums. The gum. So it's not, yeah, not too complicated, yeah. but um, yeah. I think that's a, nice, uh, that's a nice visual to hug the tooth. Yes, yes, always hug the tooth. Hug and sing and at the same time. <laughs> if you can sing, I can't. So unfortunately, I can't do that. Another thing that I added recently, especially after COVID, is to avoid mouthwashes, you know, unless prescribed by a dentist for a specific reason. Because research uh, is showing that a daily use of mouthwashes, it, it can wipe out the good and the harmful bacteria. And some studies suggest that it can increase the risk of high blood pressure and other systemic conditions because those beneficial bacteria, they produce nitric oxide and that apparently plays a role in keeping the, the blood pressure stable. So I, I wouldn't recommend anyone. Um, I know during COVID it was different because mouthwashes showed according to a study we did that it could help reduce the risk you know could mitigate infection transmission but that's different from a daily use out of the pandemic and then um, also keep a healthy diet low in added sugars and processed foods exercise uh, stress reduction prioritizing sleep and relaxation and hobbies because this makes a strong uh, immune system that will be able to fight off bacteria in the mouth and anywhere in the body too. And lastly, I would say that investing in prevention is a great way to keep a healthy mouth because it's always cheaper and easier to treat everything in the beginning. So visiting the dentist or the dental hygienist at least once a year is the best investment one can, can do in their own uh, oral health. Let's, thank you, that's so constructive. Let's, let's bring it back to children. So anybody in the audience who has a toddler, um, I have an 18-month-old, and brushing the teeth regularly and consistently of a person of this age is, is quite a feat. Um, <laughs> so is it, is it as, or would you say that the, the I don't know, that, they have, that children have more magical saliva <laughs> that um, <laughs> makes less vigilance more tolerable because I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that most of the people that I know don't brush their children's teeth as efficiently or as vigilantly or often as they should. And many of their children look like they have reasonably healthy mouths. 
Um, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one with children because when you speak about children, it always comes back to fluoride. You know, it's, um, it's the point of discussion. So fluoride, so before we go into toothbrushing, we need to think about fluoride. It's, um, it is a neurotoxin, but it's also very effective when applied locally to teeth. It can help prevent and treat initial decay. And... Um, I read an article the other day saying that when tooth decay prevalence was compared between the US and Europe, it's, uh, it's apparently similar, the prevalence, although in Europe, many countries do not fluoridate their water and most of the US does. So at this point, I think that water fl fluoridation is unnecessary. It's my personal opinion. Uh, I think it probably contributes to our toxic burden because we're already exposed to too many chemicals. Were you saying that the incident, the prevalence in Europe versus America was similar and the one yes, had fluorinated water and the other didn't? Yes, correct. So, um, yeah, it points that direction. I don't think it's necessary, but that's my humble opinion. But then when you move to local fluoride through tooth, uh, toothpaste. Um, the literature says, and I'm sure you'll find anything confirming or refuting. There's studies confirming and refuting everything. everything. <laughs> yeah, that's the issue. But I found out that there seems to be limited scientific evidence demonstrating that fluoride toothpaste is actually effective in tooth decay for children younger than six years. So before six years, ideally, children's diet should be low in sugar, their saliva production should be optimal, and toothbrushing should be efficient enough so they wouldn't need fluoride to lower their risk of tooth decay. That's the, the ideal world. Okay. And as parents, we know how tough that is. <laughs> Just brushing correctly and avoid even um, Bottle, you know, already enhances the, the risk of, of decay because of the sugars in milk. So I'm not even talking about desserts and sugar treats. Mm. So it is tough. And even breast some milk. Parents I mean, even breast even milk. Even breast milk, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But I think with children, so some parents choose to use fluoridated toothpaste because it's a way, it's a scientific way of compensating for the difficulty of brushing children's teeth. So if you choose to use fluoride toothpaste, I chose for my son, um, it's, it's the amount because there's a risk for toxicity and the younger the kids, the higher the risk. So according to the American Academy of Pediatrics, they recommend for children to and three years old, not before, for two to three years old, a grain of rice sized amount of, of fluoridated toothpaste. Mm. And then for kids age four and over, a pea sized amount of toothpaste. It's so ironic because all of the advertising campaigns of these sorts of products have that lavish, delicious squirt. Do you know what I mean? Covering the full <laughs> surface. Yes of your of your toothbrush and so i've read about a grain of rice in the context of lowering the burden of plastic and um a, and the environmental impact of toothpaste tubes and, and so that's what's governed my portion control but there's no public <laughs> education around that kind of dosing um for any reason and so i'm so glad that you said that Yes, you're so right. I think the advertising is not appropriate if you think of the amount of toothpaste that is actually required. <laughs> yeah, really interesting. So, th and then over the age of six, is that when you would certainly include fluoride in a toothpaste? Yes, and also it comes with like the the kids. Your kids are growing. They're you know, going to birthday parties and eating stuff that they probably don't eat at home if you're a healthy parent. And and it's tough to, to limit that sometimes. And you, you get less and less control over what they eat when they're not with you as they grow. So mm. then I would definitely recommend using fluoride toothpaste, making sure they, they spit it out, of course. And um, 
and also remind parents that I know it's tough. I'm a parent myself. There's so much you have to do. The internet doesn't make it easier with a lot of like the correct information, what you should do. But from, uh, or from an oral health point of view, parents must brush their kids' teeth until they are around eight because their motor skills are just not good enough. So if you leave your kids to do it, they'll probably develop tooth decay just out of lack of technical ability to mm. remove the bacteria from their teeth. And then obviously continue to supervise after that, after the age of eight. Well, that maybe brings me to the next question. Do you think that there's a strong genetic driver of children that have got mouths full of dental caries? Or do you think it's just parents not conforming to some of the recommendations you've just given us? I would say lifestyle is definitely to blame. I don't want to blame the parents because it's a lot on their plate, yeah. but it's just, you know, it's society. It's the kind of foods we put in lunch boxes for our kids, the kind of foods that are served at schools, Juice. the kind of foods that are sold, all the, the sugary drinks, uh, sports drinks, fizzy drinks, um, chocolate flavored milk drinks, Everything has so much sugar, yogurt, all the kids' products, like the, the ready products, most of them have sugar, added sugar, not just natural, but added sugar in mm. it. So, and, and then some kids, like I, I try to teach my son from early on that when you drink something, you don't sip for hours, you drink it. And then you let your saliva do the rest. Because a lot of kids, and I see it at school when I go watch sports, they're sipping. They're sipping the sports drink. So you're having the pH of your saliva being remaining low for so long. It takes about 45 minutes for the pH to recover and avoid the teeth from getting softer. So if you're drinking a, a fizzy drink, and you, you sip a little bit every 10 minutes, you're causing so much damage. And I think that's what the kids do mm. at school when the parents are not around and the parents have no idea. And I think, so I think it's children, a big driver. Yeah, mm. Young children walking around with um, bottles full of formula beyond the age of one where they really don't need the, that milk anymore. Um, if they're eating a balanced diet. And again, there's a, a, it's even longer with the small teeth and you're just bathing the teeth for hours of the day. Yes, and the, the anatomy of children's teeth is also different. The enamel is much thinner, so it takes shorter time for the bacteria to destroy that outer layer and get into the inner layer. So it develops much quicker than in adults. Yeah, this is so empowering. Yeah. I'm so grateful for all this <laughs> information. Tell me about probiotics. We keep, we've spoken about dysbiosis and bacteria. Um, does taking exogenous probiotics help? Is there any evidence for that? Yes. So the, the first part of it is that there are many studies indeed, test tube studies, clinical studies, they all suggest that probiotics can actually help improve oral health, gum health, cavities, bad breath, and, and uh, plaque formation. So they can definitely help create a healthier oral microbiome, reduce inflammation and tissue destruction. But as, as um, one can see, if anyone goes online, you see that the action of probiotics is not universal. So as it is today, you don't have one species of bacteria that will solve all oral conditions. So specific oral conditions require specific probiotics. And the selection of the best probiotic overall still requires more studies. So I cannot tell anyone by this or that one, but I can, what I can say is that, okay, research tells us that daily consumption of probiotics is beneficial, but you don't need to buy it. I would suggest that for anyone wanting the benefits of it to include more fermented foods in their diet because Foods like sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, kefir, and yogurt, um, they have a wider variety of probiotic species than supplements. 
So that's 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 where my thinking goes nowadays. Anyone wanting to promote oral health and get probiotics, rather eat fermented foods than buying one specific probiotics because we there are too many species being being studied. I can't really point fingers to to one only. Yeah, I think it's unlikely that we're ever going to get to a place where we are prescribing a single species. And if you go back to the idea of going closer to Earth and how nature intended things to be, we wouldn't have had refrigeration and we would probably naturally be eating more fermented foods. Exactly, and the mixture. And I think mm. also diversity. now um, the diversity, different species, also a mixture of live bacteria, but also of prebiotics and postbiotics. So I think we're still learning. Mm-hmm. There's, there's definitely going to be more about it in the near future. Thank you. Should we end with maybe an invitation to doctors and dentists to collaborate a little bit more? And how do we build that bridge? How do we strengthen this connection? <laughs> That's a nice one. I love the question. For me, the biggest challenge for both is to look at the patient as one interconnected system. Then the next challenge is that gum disease is usually very silent and doesn't cause pain. So the question would be like first look, looking at the side of the doctors, how can doctors take oral health into account, particularly in patients with chronic conditions? And one way would be to get tests, you know, side tests where you can, the doctor can tell the patient, you know, you've got gum disease, you need to you need to get treatment. And also I think doctors should have a basic idea of how to do a quick or examination with simple tools like a wooden spatula and a light, you know, in your phone maybe. Because um, many things could be prevented if they were discovered in the beginning. And that that change sh- should start at dental school, you know, a basic clinical knowledge on how to identify oral issues. That would help a lot. And then moving to the side of the dentist. For the dentist, the challenge is getting out of the tunnel vision. You know, as a dentist, you know a lot deep and narrow about the mouth and oral health. But then you need to get out of it in order to collaborate more with with, uh, the patient's doctor, you know, blood tests, preventive measurements and uh, especially gum disease patients. So if a dentist treats gum disease without sending the patient to further investigation for systemic inflammation, he is lacking an opportunity to prevent chronic disease later on. Because we know research shows that most patients with moderate or severe gum disease have a higher risk for many general diseases. So dentists should not let go of the patient after gum disease treatment is over. They need to think about longevity and prevention. Hence, collaborating more often with physicians and other health professionals uh, becomes vital. And I think every dentist should know one doctor he could call to discuss certain patients. And every doctor should have at least one patient, one dentist, who he can call and, and chat and ideally, in my vision, they would work together in an yeah, integrative health hub. <laughs> that would be amazing. I know that you live in Grayton. Do you wanna, is there an integrative health hub in Grayton? I would imagine that people that live in Grayton <laughs> are just healthier and less unwell in general <laughs> because, because of the, the slower pace and the access to a different um, kind of life. Yeah, there's two sides of it. The the older people come, there's a lot of people who come here to retire. And I can see that it's the traditional inflammaging model. You know, it's um, you come here later in life, you've had um, a certain lifestyle and now you don't want to change, you just need some care. So there's a lot of older people, but then there's also the younger people moving to Great, a lot of younger families with kids. And 
just being here makes them more connected to nature, more connected to the local vegetable producers. So your microbiome thanks you, you know, you're getting local, you're getting the, the, the best vegetables you can get. You have a different connection to nature because you have nature like literally at your doorstep. You have horses, wild horses around. Um, the stray dogs are taken care. There's um, an amazing um, animal welfare society. So no, it's a smaller community, and I think there is more connection to other human beings. I can say that, you know, for myself, I've experienced a lot more of community feeling here. And we know from the blue zones that it makes you healthier if you yes. feel like you're part of a community. Mm -hmm and proximity to nature, more access to farmers and natural produce and organic stuff, feeling more um, inclined to exercise as well and you have all these mountains and the trails. And so I definitely think it's a healthier lifestyle. You don't have traffic, you don't have noise, <laughs> you don't commute. I mean, I'll, some people do, I don't. So it definitely helps you live um, you know, cut your stress levels. Yes, definitely. Yeah. But meaningful, not just boring, yes. but meaningful. Well, yeah. more intentional, maybe. Absolutely. It has been such a pleasure talking to you and um, your wealth of knowledge and experience is so apparent. And I hope that the listeners have found this as empowering as I have and that we all walk away with the tools that you've given us to cultivate healthy mouths and prevent gum disease and reduce our risk of chronic disease. And also that invitation for everybody to be more collaborative, for specialists to get out of their silos and reach their hands out to the colleagues around them. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And I just hope my message will remind us, everybody, patients, specialists, doctors, dentists, to connect the dots between all aspects of ourselves, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual, and to embrace that complexity. Because when we do that, we naturally connect to our environment, to nature, to one another, to the planet, to a higher power. And that is the most profound healing we can achieve collectively. Thank you so much. Earth with heart, with Yeah, 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 yeah.